What's up, everyone? This is another episode of the Triple Option Report podcast. And today, I want to talk about the big news in sports. Pat Fitzgerald. Now, we know that the Daily Northwestern, first off, shout out to Daily Northwestern. Those student journalists there, they did an amazing job. Like, literally, this entire thing wouldn't have happened without them. And I talked about in, in the previous episode how, like, Stuff like this usually goes under the under the rug or like people just wait and, and just let it pass on. That's how it has happened in a lot of these schools. So that's why I was, I was a little doubtful if he would get fired. But the, these students, they, they kept it going. And they burned new allegations of racism and, and, and boom, he's out of there. Now, apparently there's a problem with the baseball team too in Northwestern. So keep it going. Get all the tox- Get all the toxicity out of there. You don't need that. It's, it's a bad look, and it's just it'll keep on boiling and boiling until until something even worse happens. Oh, and excuse me, my apologies if you don't know what happened exactly. Uh, in the previous episode, I talked about how uh, Pat Fitzgerald was having a, a toxic work environment, pretty much. Uh, Northwestern's football team, the program there is hazing, and it involves some pretty awful things, primarily, pretty much sexual assault towards other players from other players practically that was what was happening it, it, it was it was yeah it involved nudity and shout it was bad it, it was so bad that it, he had to be fired over it like there's no way you could allow him to keep running that program so yeah it, he did get fired so with that now obviously northwestern needs a new coach someone who can who can fix the culture there and bring wins now that would be a little tough. I mean, I get like they put a lot of money in into new facilities, but that might actually be in a weird way a bad thing because it, they have a lot of money now, like to have to spend uh, to make up between the contract that that Patrick Jones still has to pay that off because they fired him before it's over, and uh, the money they put into the facilities to to uh, update them, which was a lot. And they they they'd spent a lot of spent a lot of money, so they have they don't have a lot of money left like that to spend on a coach. And then with that, also Northwestern in general is not an easy place to play in. I mean, to to, to win in at all. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's in the Chicago area, but it's it's like think of it like Georgia Tech in Atlanta. Georgia Tech is not an easy place to win in, despite being in downtown Atlanta because of just. How strict the academics are, including for recruits, so it's hard to recruit well. And money is not really put into the athletics like that. So, you know, it, it's hard to get in as a recruit. It's hard to recruit there. You don't have a lot of money in. And they're already, with that situation, having to, to, to spend less than expected because of this whole situation. So, you're not going to get a lot of big names, probably. But... Some names that have been uh, uh, rumored. Uh, David Shaw. Sort of like a... Now, I would... To, go, to stick with... It, let me go back. Let me backtrack a little. Northwestern it has their uh, defensive coordinator, who, who they just hired, David Braun. And this is coming from Adam Rittenberg. He's saying that he's going to serve as the liaison and manage the program. So, for the time being, pretty much. So, as they wait for an interim coach for the, just this upcoming year, uh, next year, like I said, 
David Shaw. He's a former head coach for Stanford. Uh, interesting. He could tell like it's almost like someone joked around and said it's like a reverse David Green. Kind of is, honestly. But, you know, that could work. He knows how to handle programs where it's extremely difficult to recruit and, and, and you know, highly academic and everything like that. He's succeeded at Stanford. So maybe that, that would be a problem. And he doesn't have a toxic environment or toxic history. So, yeah, that could work out. Uh, Sharon Moore, as a Michigan fan, I don't want that to happen. But he has offensive coordinator for Michigan. He's done a great job. As an O-line coach, he's a phenomenal job at Michigan as well. He was pretty good at tight end, too, and he's actually a really good recruiter. So he knows the area because, again, with Michigan, he knows the Midwest. Uh, Jim Mora. You know what? He has, uh, yeah, Jim Mora Jr., uh, he has a history with, with programs that are like major programs like UCLA. He succeeded there for a brief period. UConn, uh, another place that's difficult to win in. He's doing really good there now. Uh, Dave Clawson at Wake Forest, prime example, a prime example of succeeding at a place that, like Northwestern, is not an attractive spot for recruits. Uh, and again, high academics, so it's hard to recruit there in general. Uh, Jim Leonard, former defensive coordinator and interim head coach for Wisconsin, he's taking a year off. Uh, so, but if he were to, to come back, who knows? You know, he he'd be. I think he'd be a really good head coach. Like, the style that Northwestern had under Pat Fitzgerald, not the culture, but the style would stick and continue with Jim Leonard as head coach, I think. Uh, of course, probably the main one people are talking about is Mike Kafka, former quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, now is the offensive coordinator for the Giants, former quarterback under Northwestern. Uh, he's played there, he's succeeded there, he's won there. Uh, I know he played under Pat Fitzgerald, so that would be a little iffy uh hopefully he doesn't have shared those same toxic traits and he wasn't involved in that stuff if he's not yeah he'd bring them a lot of really good offense like when northwestern there was a brief period of time where northwestern actually was winning in like the the 90s and early 2000s even before pat Fitzgerald when he used to play for them and one of their main traits was they had a really good offense mike kafka would bring that back definitely He's a very good offensive coach and a very good quarterback coach, obviously. Uh, and those are just rumored candidates. I have some other candidates that aren't talked about, and I don't have sources, so. But I'm just throwing out there. Uh, Brian Hartline, offensive coordinator for Ohio State. I know that's more of just like a meme type of thing because from Michigan fans because of the whole Shrone Moore rumors. But uh, he actually would be a really good hire for them. He knows how to recruit anywhere. And he'd be good enough of a recruit, a recruiter that even at a place like Northwestern, he'd be able to pull off some really top-end recruits there, regardless. And he's a great offensive mind. So again, like Mike Kafka, uh, Matt Campbell. Again, it would be more of the problem with him is he's a head coach at Iowa State, so it'd be kind of like a lateral move, honestly. But at the same time, he's won at Iowa State. I don't think people understand how difficult it is to win at Iowa State. Iowa State has not won more than eight games ever. The last time they won a conference championship, or even co-won one, uh, the Ottoman Empire still existed. So, like, it is not easy to win at Iowa State, and he's managed to do that. Uh, 
Lance Leopold, again, more of a lateral move because he's a head coach of Kansas. But still, like Mike Kafka and, 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 and Brian Hardline, offered to genius, and he's from that area. He's the Midwest. He knows the area. It, 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 we uh, knock out the park, obviously, if, he, if that miraculously happened. Wouldn't, because he's only been there for Kansas for two years, but still. Uh, Dave Aranda, he actually has history. He has experience in the Midwest as well. He used to be Wisconsin's defensive coordinator. Uh, he'd be a really good hire because he knows how to, how to win and succeed at schools like Northwestern with Baylor. Uh, Chris Creighton, I think, would probably be the best move. You know, succeeding at Eastern Michigan, and I, I said this about previous coaches I just put up here, but even that one, that's even more difficult than even Iowa State or a place like that. Eastern Michigan is almost impossible to win at. And, and he's got them to a level where they expect to make bowl games every year. That's like, I don't think people understand how crazy that is. And he brings a type of a blue-collar, uh, physical type of style, but without, again, the toxic traits that Pat Fitzgerald had, at least that we know of. So, yeah, that would be an excellent hire. And he can win anywhere, I think. And he, he brings that style of, of a typical Midwest, I'm not going to be able to get a lot of high-end recruits, but I'll just develop them to a top level type of thing. Now, one last pick. And it's just going out of left field. Uh, Glenn Caruso, head coach of St. Thomas in Minnesota. The St. Thomas, Minnesota Tommies. They're moving up to, to FBS, for, I mean FCS from Division 3, if I'm correct, or Division 2. Division 3. And he's had them explode in success. Like, they come out of nowhere. And I actually think they might be good enough in the next two or three years where there'll be an actual like top in like we're talking top 25 like they could go as far as like this run deep in, in the in the FCS playoffs level good and and they're a super young school so for him to be able to succeed like this with them already and he fits them like he's from the area I feel like he'd be a great hire sort of like a Lance Leopold was for Kansas type of deal but yeah that that was it that, that's the coaching hires I think would be good moves. But overall, I don't know who gets it. And it's, it'll be a tough, uh, definitely a tough like journey to, to actually succeed there. It, like I said just earlier, like the, the, like, uh, the, it's difficult to recruit. A lot of people probably will most likely be entering the transfer portal from the school with this whole situation happening. Like, yeah, it'll be difficult. It's already difficult to recruit there already. And went already there. So, yeah, whoever gets it, I wish them the best of luck because it's not going to be easy. Now, you can say what you want about baseball and in Major League Baseball. Like, you can say that it's lost a lot of its popularity and influence, but one thing that stays big is the Home Run Derby. So, this year's Home Run Derby, uh, yeah, like, it, it, it was really good. Honestly, I don't remember the last time there's been a bad home run derby, honestly. So, just going over all, overall what happened, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., obviously, is one of the best home run hitters and hitters in general in all of baseball for a while now. He has officially, he's joined his dad, Vladimir Guerrero Sr., that I remember watching in, in the MLB, uh, as the first ever father-son duo to ever win a home run derby. Now, uh, let's just looking through, skimming through what, what, what the, how the tournament went. Uh, Randy 
Eros Arena from Tampa Bay. He was a beast throughout. Uh, had the second most of any round 35 in the second round versus uh, Luis Robert Jr., who he from the Chicago White Sox uh, with 35. But the most, obviously, was Julio Rodriguez from the Seattle Mariners, who had 41, a whopping 41. And when I saw that, it looked like he was hitting every pitch at one point out the park. Beat out Pete Alonso, who's been like it almost looks like he strains. Strains, if I'm correct, does he strain specifically for this event? I think he does. But he's been a monster in it almost every year. But these last two years, he can't get through Julio Rodriguez. I don't know what it is. I guess Rodriguez just has his number when it comes to home runs. Uh, I thought Mookie Betts. I, I don't know why I, I picked Mookie Betts. He came in actually admitting like I probably have no shot here, and it, it was all just you know why not. He's one of the top home run hitters in, in, in baseball. Even though this specific event probably doesn't fit his style. He's a lot smaller. Isn't as strong or powerful as a lot of the guys in here. So, yeah. But, hey. Why not try? Uh, and looking at it. Going up against Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I probably should have known better. Like I said before. The next round. Randy Arena Obviously went 35 on Luis Robert Jr. And knocked him out. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Edged out Julio Rodriguez. After the 41, looking back at it, Julio Rodriguez probably shouldn't have hit that many home runs. You seem like he went a little too hard in the first round because he was super tired in the second round. And then the last round, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. won 25-23 to 23 over, over Randy Rosarena. So again, like I said, first father-son duo. Wow, look at that. And moving on to boxing, the big thing that just happened... Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou. Now, I talked about how, like, uh, I hope that doesn't happen or come on Tyson Fury face off against Usyk or... Well, look, I'll say this. I'll say my positives and negatives about it and the overview about it right now. October 28th is when it happens in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, It is officially a boxing match. Not mixed rules, not mixed martial arts. Nope, straight straight up boxing. Uh, First off, positives. Dana Wright... Can't screw over another fighter. I like that. He screws up, like I said before in my previous episode, Pantoja, who was uh, one of the co-main event fighters, who just won a championship. He's been like a top 10 guy, one of the top guys in that weight division that he fights in for UFC for a while now. And he was driving Uber Eats until like two fights previous to uh, that one. Which is crazy because, again, he's like a ranked fighter. He should not be getting having to use a second job. <laughs> that he should be paid off well. In boxing, if you're at the level that he's at, you're like a millionaire. So, I, I, yeah, I, that's ridiculous. But Daniel White's been screwing over his fires for years. For instance, Ngannou's to put his foot down, say, you know what, screw you guys, I'm going to get out of here, I'm going to do PFL, I'm going to go make my own mark and do boxing. And everyone, everyone at one point was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. He did it. He's going to make a lot of money. He's going to make more money in this one boxing match, way more, than he did in his entire UFC career combined. And get paid arguably more for PFL. Actually probably will be paid more for PFL. So he's going to still do mixed martial arts and boxing. Look at that. So that's a, that's a positive. Uh, so I would say negative. One negative is that people are going to say like, oh, circus fight or, or you know, freak show fight or, or stuff like that. Or like, uh, oh man, the top boxers are facing a... Facing, uh, Celebrities, first off, Mayweather was not in his prime when he's doing this stuff. And he's, he's kind of like a retired boxer now. 
So it is what it is. And like I said, freak show fights, fight they they happen in any martial art and have since martial arts have been like a popular thing that you can make money off of. So at the end of the day, as long as uh, your actual legit boxing environment's healthy, who cares, right? And it is like you still got Anthony Joshua and, and Dillian Wyatt. That's the fight that's going to happen. You still got potentially Wilder and Ruiz. If Andy Ruiz is not asking for a ridiculous 50-50 or some crap like that, like, no, absolutely not. Yeah, you could say 70-30 might be a bit much, but 65-35 is right. Come on, don't don't overpush it. Uh, and Spence Crawford, obviously, this month. Like, that's fight in all the martial arts of the year. Not just, like, boxing, but all of combat sports. So, yeah, boxing is still in a great... Is it still in a great position? Fury afterwards should face Usyk. Let's stop... Uh, stop doing BS here, Fury. Come on. And then Francis Ngannou is going to get paid how he should and still do mixed martial arts afterwards. So uh, at the end of the day, it, it, it still ended out a, a big fat W. Now, getting off of sports for a quick second, I want to talk about comic books. Primarily, the Miss Marvel situation. Uh, the whole fallen friend, the death of Miss Marvel number one. I don't like this. I'm not a fan of any of this at all. So this whole situation. Okay, so in 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 the MCU, Miss Marvel has debuted and it's kind of implied that she's gonna be a mutant and that like at the end of her series, it kind of almost in a way was kind of started to introduce or imply that there's mutants around. So like there's a potential of the X-Men coming in, right? And you know, Marvel's bought the rights back to the X-Men. So I guess they want to turn her from what she was, an inhuman, into a mutant. So, in the comic books, because MCU synergy, they decide to kill her off. And a lot of people think, including me, that they're killing her off just to it, like to bring her back as like a mutant. Which, I'm not a fan of any of this. First off, killing off characters in comic books has been an overrun thing. It, like, at this point, it's meaningless now. Like, who cares? Because... Everyone knows they'll bring that character back. This is not like it worked in the past because Gwen Stacy didn't come back. Uncle Ben didn't come back. Uh, Jean Grey didn't come back for like a decade. I like at, at first it worked because when they kill people off, they stay dead. Uh, uh, even in DC, uh, Barry Allen stayed dead till what what almost. 20, almost 30 years, almost. So, like, it, it, it worked then because they actually kept him dead. Now, they bring him back after every, like, two, three years. So, like, it has no impact at all. So, everyone knows she's going to come back alive, so it's just dumb. You just retcon them. We did, like, it's just retcon them to be, like, uh, mutants. Like, it's like, oh, my bad, you're not inhuman, you're a mutant. And if you want to know what this whole thing is, an inhuman is, is a person who was, like, a human... But, like, they got, there's this thing called in Marvel called a Tyrion Mist, where if a human gets, into like, touched by it or, like, they inhale it or whatever, get into contact with it, they turn to, like, it chases up their DNA or, like, the descendants of them, their DNA, and turns them into inhumans. A mutant is just a person who's born with powers. Like, there's no, like, chemicals or anything added like that. No, it is genetically in them that they're born naturally with powers. So they're just going to, I guess, change it up, I guess. Because, again... This goes with synergy with comic books, right? See, a few years ago, 
right at this point actually almost a decade now uh marvel was in a bit of a they were really going in with the avengers makes sense right because the avengers were doing great in the box office but in the process was kind of sacrificing the fantastic four and x-men because they were connected to fox and unlike spider-man who yes was connected to sony but Disney still had a good relationship with Sony involving Spider-Man, which allowed those characters to work. Same with the Hulk and, and other characters who were a part of, technically a part of other entertainment companies. So, like, yeah, like, this is different because Fox and, and Disney had no relationship at all. So, Fox was not, like, trying to do, like, a joint Disney-Fox movie or anything like that. So, Disney was like, okay. Like, a lot of people think... Uh, Due to that, they tried to, like, just blackball, in a way, their own characters. And just push the Avengers. And it felt like that. I get, like, I still think that was the case, honestly. It might have been actually confirmed, actually. They literally canceled the Fantastic Four's comic book run. You know, the, the, the comic book run that makes Marvel even exist in the first place. Yeah, they canceled that. Uh, the X-Men, they, they pretty much cut them down to, what, one or two comic books? Like, it was dead at one point, almost. Like, it was scary. So, like, and they were really pushing the Avengers. They had multiple... At one point, they actually think... I actually think they might have had more of in, uh, in, Inhumans. Like, Inhuman comic book runs than X-Men comic book runs running at one point. I'm not even... Like, seriously. So, like, now that they bought Fox and they don't have to do that anymore, out of nowhere, they pushed the Fantastic Four like crazy. Like, immediately after they bought Fox. And they they, they had the X-Men. Uh, they got all these different types of runs going now. It's back to how it was at peak form. The Avengers have gotten down to only, what, two or three books tops. And the Inhumans barely exist. Crazy coincidence that that happens at the same time that they, that they buy uh, 20th Century Fox, which had the X-Men in, in the Fantastic Four. So, yeah. Like, like, it's all synergy, it's all this money, it's all based on the, the success of the movie industry for, for Marvel. Like, it shouldn't be that way because it doesn't help with sales for, for comic books at all. It's the same thing with, with, uh, with uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, those characters are completely different in the movies than how they were at their prime years in the comic books in the 2000s. And yet... They change those characters to be like how they were in the movies, and it's not the same. It doesn't work. I really think a lot of that is due to James Gunn just being a really good director, and the actors and actresses in, in, the, in the movies just knocking out the park more than it, than it is, like, the actual character itself. So they, it, it shouldn't work like that. That's just like, synergy, moving synergy never works, or at least most of the time it doesn't work. Sometimes it does. Hawkeye got a major improvement in, in uniforms because of that costume design, but for the most part, it, it doesn't work. Like, even with, uh, like, think of it like this, like, okay, the MCU, they do, uh, uh, and, and again, with, with, with uh, this whole synergy thing, right, they're going to bring back a new Miss Marvel comic book, like they haven't done this already, and they're gonna do renumbering and all, even stuff like that renumbering. I don't. I'm not a big fan of that. They feel like like that stuff. Uh, when there's when there's too big of a number next to a comic book issue, whatever, that it intimidates new fans. No, we have the internet. We can just look that stuff up if we need to look up like what happened in the past. 
it ain't that hard. Wasn't hard for me. So like, it, it it's not it, that won't intimidate fans. I don't think. Like, but like they're trying to find ways to make people uh, to make people buy co- more comic books, and, and, and it just feels gimmicky. I they're starting to get out of that. But this and the Spider Man stuff that I talked about in the previous episode, like, feels like a throwback to what they were doing in the 2010s, which felt like gimmicky crap, like they were doing in the 90s, which led to almost killing off the whole comic book industry. So, yeah, just hopefully they stop doing this crap. Like, this is another terrible move. Now, again, even like the whole synergy in general doesn't make sense to me. At first, wasn't the MCU supposed to be like an alternate universe? The main universe is Earth 616 in the comic books, right? So, like, the MCU is supposed to be just, like, uh, uh, an alternate of that. So, why is there synergy? It, it, just, it just reeks of money, honestly. Which, it doesn't even bring you, honestly. Because, again, it doesn't boost up comic book sales. But, whatever. Now, I, I know I just bashed the MCU. But, I will say... One thing I I really did like to see was uh, that little clip of the Wolverine Deadpool thing with uh, Deadpool 3. Hugh Jackman is back, it looks like. he's And he's wearing the all gold and blue Wolverine uniform, traditional. Not the whole, the whole bland, black, all black Brian Singer crap that was going on for years. And that's awesome. People have been cramming for that for years for, for the X-Men to actually be in their natural uniform colors. So to see Wolverine like that and Hugh Jackman like that, that was pretty awesome. And now it's time for my big time pick. Now today I want to talk about, uh, not again, not a lot of sports going on, but if there's one sport that I, I wanted, I haven't talked about a lot like that is the WNBA. And uh, today, my former team that I used to root for was the Detroit Shock. They obviously don't exist anymore. But a new team root for is the Las Vegas Aces. Mainly because of Age Wilson, former Gamecock, from South Carolina. So, yeah, I had to root for them. And uh, that team is really dominant. Like, scary good. One of the greatest WNBA teams ever. Might be by the time this season's over with, honestly. They're, uh, n- what, 19 and 2, if I'm correct? Or, what, uh... I'm rounding that. Yeah, it's 17 and 2. So, I'll just do this. Uh, Wednesday night, they play the LA Sparks. They're going to dominate them and smash them. I, I don't think it'll be close. So, yeah, that's my pick. The Las Vegas Aces, like, look at this team. Asia Wilson's a monster. Uh, like, they showed in the last game, or like a previous game, Kelsey Plume, she had, what, 40 points? And she's not even the second highest scorer for that team. She's the third. There are multiple women on this team that average over 19 points a game. So, yeah, this team's unstoppable at this point. Uh, they're going to go through everyone, including the Sparks. So that's my prediction. I've got uh, the Aces dominating the Sparks by, uh, let's see here, at least 15 points. So that's it for today. Uh, next episode, obviously on Friday. When Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, remember to subscribe and also follow me on Twitter at Pulliam, P U L L I A M underscore Blake, all lowercase, and follow me again on threads.
Blake underscore Pulliam one, P U L L I A M, and it's all lowercase as well. So that's it for today, and uh, see you guys on Friday. See y'all.